This Seattle Medium podcast is sponsored by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. One of the co-founders of the Seattle Black Panther Party has written a new book that he hopes will change the historical narrative of the organization. With this morning, talk about this book and the Seattle Black Panther Party as co-founder Elmer Dixon. Good morning, Mr. Dixon. Good morning. All right. Uh, Elmer, let's start off by talking a little bit about why you and your colleagues started a Black Panther Party chapter here in Seattle. You know, uh, we, uh, in that period of time, grew up in what I often refer to as an era of assassinations. You know, growing up uh, during the, the 60s and seeing and experiencing the uh, events unfolding with the civil rights movement, the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church, the assassination of Kennedy, Medgar Evers, the three slain civil rights workers, the, the uprisings in uh, Detroit uh, and in Watts, and assassination of uh, Malcolm X, and then in 68, the assassination of uh, MLK uh, led us to uh, attend uh, uh, the West Coast Conference of Black Student Unions at San Francisco State University. And when we got down there that evening, unbeknownst to us, the keynote speaker was a man by the name of Bobby Seale, who was chairman of the Black Panther Party. He was very uh, angry that evening because two days after MLK was assassinated, the first member to join the Black Panther Party, little Bobby Hutton, was uh, shot in the streets of Oakland while in police custody, hit by 20 police bullets, murdered and shot down, and Bobby was very mad. And he gave a very fiery speech there at that, uh, at that conference. And you could almost see the line drawn in the sand of the four or five hundred students that were there, the ones that were scared to death because Bobby said we're going to fight until our blood runs in the streets and uh, talking about revolution. And that was most of them that, that were on the scared side of the line. And my brother Aaron and a few other of us, others of us from Seattle made a beeline to Chairman Bobby Seale and said that we wanted to start a chapter of the Black Panther Party. See, it was, we're at that point where uh, Malcolm Hicks Exit said, by any means necessary. And it was, for us, it was just enough. Enough was enough, and it was time to stand up and fight. Right. Now, uh, Elmer, we often see images of members of the Black Panther Party during the Civil Rights Movement who were armed, wearing berets, black leather jackets, etc. But when speaking to former members like yourself, we quickly find out the Black Panther Party was more than what it was perceived by the general public 
as a military organization. You know, the the wearing of the leather jacket, gray, uh, powdered blue shirt, that was the uniform of the Black Panther Party, and we were a very disciplined organization. I remember the first time uh, that night when Bobby said uh, for us to come and uh, attend the funeral of little Bobby Hutton, that when I when we were driving across the Bay Bridge and I saw these uh, rows and rows of uh, young black men and women in leather jackets and berets, uh, thinking that this looks like a black army. And the, the portrayal was that, that we were an organized group of revolutionaries, and it was important to, to, to project that image, uh, to let people know that we were there to defend the community uh, and as we were organizing this uh, revolutionary movement. But standing there with guns uh, was also um, uh, uh, also important to illustrate that we had, one, the First Amendment right to, to freedom of speech and to stand up and demand justice and freedom, and number two, to defend ourselves in the process. You know, if you look at the, the history of racism and brutality in our community, uh, you know, it's time for us to say you have a right to defend yourselves. And in fact, the original name of the Black Panther Party was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. But of course, as you said, we were much more than that. We were a, a an organization that was building uh, political power for the black community and at the same time defending the community. Uh, and so we, you know, we launched what we called survival programs. Huey taught us that power is the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner, and that we had to control the narrative, which is why we put out our newspaper so that uh, we control the narrative. You know that there, Chris, yourself being mm-hmm. uh, the director at, of a, or the editor at a, at, a, at a black community newspaper to control the narrative. and. And so that's what we set out to do with our newspaper. But then we started these survival programs. We called them survival programs pending revolution. And a lot of people don't realize that we were not a social service agency. We weren't just providing social service programs. When we started our free medical clinic, it was in response to the fact that uh, in the CD here in Seattle, uh, we had the second highest infant mortality rate uh, in the whole state of Washington. And so uh, in response to that, we started our first free medical clinic. And, and the very first clinic was called a well baby clinic. And, and, and that clinic, which today is the Carolyn Downs Family Medical Center, is the only original Black Panther Party clinic still in operation. But I want to say one more thing. That, that whole uh, uh, event, that, that the reason we started our, our clinic, is very significant today. There was an Olympic sprinter, uh, Tori, I can't remember Tori's last name, who died two days ago, three or four days ago, in childbirth. And here we are, 53 years after we started that original clinic, and black women are at the top of the list again of being at risk in childbirth uh, and because of inadequate medical care. And so that, that whole situation has come back full circle. And that's what we addressed some 53 years ago. Right. And, Elmer, uh, let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, first of all, first what, of all what inspired is, you to write the book, and why did you feel that you, now is the right time to right publish time. it? You know, it's a good question. Uh, in 2010, I was uh, 
invited to speak at a conference in Lille, France, up in northern France. And I was the keynote speaker at this conference. And after I finished speaking, a couple of women approached me from the Netherlands and asked me if I would come to the Netherlands to, to talk about the Black Panther Party because children in the Netherlands, they said, learned about the significance of the Black Panther Party, and they wanted me to come and you know, kind of back it up with the in-live speech. And the irony is that uh, a month before I left Seattle to go uh, do this conference, I was invited to speak at a local school, the Seattle Art School, which was, was down on the uh, Art Academy, which, which used to be down on the Seattle waterfront. And when I went down there, I was invited by a young woman who had actually babysat uh, Black Panther children back in uh, the 60s. And when I went down there, she had two students meet me to take me to the classroom. And they asked, are you the former Black Panther that's going to speak today? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, what was the Black Panther Party? Now, they were one was white and one was black. And the black student asked, was that kind of like the black KKK? And here I was in the U.S. and a black student at a college was equivalenting what he thought was the Black Panther Party with the Ku Klux Klan. And it was the dichotomy there that here I had to draw, draw, uh, fly 10,000 miles away from home where people knew about the Black Panther Party. And here in the United States, the lies uh, that, that were perpetuated about the Black Panther Party were still in effect. And it was at that point that I realized I needed to, to write my story, as other members of the Black Panther Party have. My brother, in fact, published his book that year. Uh, his book is, is called My People Are Rising, Aaron Dixon will be here tonight uh, in our event. But it was at, at that point that I said the narrative has not shifted. And so publishing at this time is, is crucial because, you know, we're, we're still in the, in the throes of the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Arbery murders. Uh, and got Governor DeSantos down in Florida uh, and others are uh, other governors that are trying to erase history and say that slavery didn't exist. And, you know, you can't say diversity or you can't, you know, you can't say gay or whatever. They're trying to shift the narrative again. It's, it's you know, and so we're we're at this point where we have to seize the time, as Chairman Bobby used to say in the, with the title of his original book, and make sure that we don't lose that narrative. Right. Now, Elmer, let, if we can shift gears just a little bit, because I want to uh, piggyback on what you talked about with in your opinion, um, let's, let's, I want to talk about the progress that, in your opinion, may or may not have been made when it comes to the relationship between the police and the African-American community today. There certainly were issues during the Civil Rights Movement, and there are issues now. You know, is there a distinct difference between today, where we are, and where we were uh, back then? Uh, back then. You know, the, the black community has always had a, um, a volatile relationship with uh, police in general. And, and I, I want to clarify, you know, I often talk to kids in grade schools um, who are just like sponges. And I talk to universities here and, and abroad. And, and here in particular, I, I tell people that most cops are good cops. 
the fact is is that there's always bad apples in the crop, and we seem to get the bad apples in our community. And the original police officer, the original badge, was worn by slave catchers. Uh, you know, back as, as as when when our our people were enslaved physically, and and after Reconstruction, um, they still enforced the law of the of the um, sharecroppers, the, the, not the sharecroppers, but the owners who owned the land. You know, when Black Wall Street was burned to the ground uh, and attacked, there were police that were in that crowd, crowd in that mob. And, and this has continued throughout our history. So we've always had a, um, a difficult time and a, uh, a distrust of, of law enforcement. And I think we've come a long ways, but I think that that distrust still exists. And while we're trying to mend those, those uh, relationships, it really takes the efforts of cops that, that, that build relationships within our community. One of the very first program that we started uh, back in '68, back the Black Panther Party with Huey Newton and Bobby Seale started it in 1966 when they formed the party, was the Police Alert Patrol, and all of our programs came out of the, the Black Panther Party 10-point program. And point number seven uh, says that we want an immediate end to the murder of black people, and so in response, we created this program where we patrolled the police uh, armed with a shotgun and a law book uh, because it was our legal right to observe. But we, we said, we're going to stop you if you try to murder someone. We had police alert patrols here in Seattle. And so when, when as, we, as we come forward to the present day and we see that you know these shootings have continued to, to happen in our community still, even to this very day, um, uh, the distrust is still there. And the other program that we started back then, at least we were trying to implement, was a community con- control of police. And the community control of police was about building, you know, a relationship with police departments. And here um, uh, today, after following the murders, again, of Taylor and, and Floyd, some of the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, organizers were also in the process of trying to begin a, a similar program, a community control of police. And so I, I think the relationship um, is still very tentative. I think that uh, with the efforts of, of, of good cops, you know, um, Detective uh, uh, Cookie uh, for, from the Seattle Police Department, you know, that's a strong sister. She was born in the same city that my, my family, me and my brothers were born in, my sister, we were born in Chicago. And Cookie uh, is doing a, a, a great job in trying to build and mend that relationship, her and other officers. So there's there's work. There's work to be done. There's attempts to be done. But we still have a very long way to go. Right. And, uh, Elmer, we have Elmer Dixon on the line, uh, co-founder of the Seattle Black Panther Party, uh, talking about his uh, Black Panther Party here in Seattle and also his book. As it relates to the book, Elmer, without giving away everything or too much, what can people expect from the book? Well, I think they're, they're what, and I, I state this very clearly in the book, that my story is just one story of thousands that could be told by many former members of the Black Panther Party. And while it, 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 it talks about, by, you know, I speak about my, my growing up here in Seattle and the impact that that had on us and growing up in a melting pot neighborhood, it, 
and and all of that that build up you know growing up with kids that were white black uh, latino japanese chinese filipino right across the street from madrona park is where we lived uh, all of that led to and and connected me to one the black panther party because because we had a a very multicultural platform. We started the first, the original Rainbow Coalition. That was Fred Hampton who coined that phrase, Rainbow Coalition, not Jesse Jackson. And that led into me becoming a diversity consultant, which I've been for the last 36 years. And they're going to see that journey. And I wanted them to see the journey of a, a, a member of the Black Panther Party, that we are, are people out of our communities, that had uh, hopes and dreams, that that gave our our lives and livelihood to stand up and fight for freedom and justice, and put our lives on the line, and that we're still here, and that that legacy is not going to go away. You know, we're we're actually in the process of building the first of its kind, a, a Black Panther Party museum and research center here in Seattle. We started that process, been in the process now for. A couple of years and it's going to happen we're going to have one here that's going to really uh, illustrate revolutionary movements across the united states and across the country and here in, uh, in in the state of washington and that's going to be something that's going to stand for we hope for uh, a long time to uh, preserve our legacy and so you'll hear my story you'll hear that that's like other stories of uh, countless members of the Black Panther Party across the United States and around the globe because we had an international movement. We had a chapter in London, England. We had a chapter in Algeria, which is our inter- international section. We had a chapter in New Zealand, chapters in Sydney, Australia, uh, in uh, in Polynesia, the Polynesian Pla- uh, Black Panther Party. Um, we were an international movement. So they'll hear all of that in, a, in, in my book. But, but this really is a, a story about a Black Panther, which is like any other Black Panther, but so that people know that we were just ordinary people that had extraordinary dreams and, and extraordinary strength and determination uh, to stand up and fight for freedom. Yeah. Well, Mr. Dixon, I, I really have a lot more questions, but we're, we don't have time to talk about this morning. But one day I, I really want to sit down and it might be in the book. So I'll look at the book first. And if not, I'm going to actually, if even if it's in the book, I'm going to come approach you about with some additional questions. I really am interested in the, the chess match that was taking place between the Black Panther Party and the police and white supremacists and and those uh, from the white community who could be viewed as good Samaritans back in the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, I was going to say that it, it was really a, um, if, as you call it, a chess match against the power structure in this country. The police were just a, a representatives of defending the power structure, and the power structure that oppresses people across this country and around the globe. That's who we were fighting against. The police were not our enemy. The police were not our target. They happened to be in the way because they were defending the power structure. But we were fighting against a, a racist and corrupt power structure. Uh, and and tonight at Washington Hall, where I will be signing books at, at our book launch event for, for uh, Juneteenth, we're showing a, a, the, a, a previewing, a documentary, um, 
um, the Seattle chapter of the Black Panther Party that is being produced by a local uh, uh, teacher, actually, turned producer uh, Rick Dupree and his son Marcus Dupree. And uh, it, it actually screened at the uh, uh, African American or the Black Film Festival at Langston Hughes about a month ago. And it's, while it is not completed, that screening, uh, which is about 40 minutes long, is very powerful. And so people will get a chance to, to, to see and hear and maybe have some of those questions answered like you are talking about. I'll also read excerpts from my book, and my brother Aaron is speaking as well. And uh, I'll be answering some questions tonight. So it's at Washington Hall uh, from 6.30 to 8.30. We encourage people to come out. I hope to see you there. But uh, we'll have time to, to talk and answer some of those questions. All right. And it's just before I let you go, uh, how can people get copies of your book? Well, obviously, you can go the route of ordering on Amazon. Um, Three Sisters Publishing, excuse me, Two Sisters Publishing is our publisher, and you can go to their website and order directly from them. Uh, I will have a website set up soon uh, called By Standing, the title of my book that you can order directly from me. Uh, and, of course, I'll have copies tonight. Um, but those are some of the ways that you can order the book. All right. Well, Mr. Nixon, thank you for joining us on today's show. Thank you for all the work that you've done for our, on behalf of our community, most of which uh, people probably have not seen or realized. But I really want to thank you on behalf of the community and wish you all the best moving forward. Well, thank you very much. And I, I want, Chris, I want to give a quick shout-out to your your aunt, I believe, Connie Thompson. Uh, not Connie Thompson, but Connie Bennett. Connie Cameron, yep. Is, yeah, Cameron, when she had her married name, she was a staunch supporter of the Black Panther Party. And uh, we loved Connie, and she loved us. And um, I, I just want to give a shout-out to her because she was one of those uh, icons in the community that, that stood up for justice and freedom, and she stood up for us. So uh, with much love for her. All right. Thank you very much. I, we really appreciate that as well. Um, all right. Have a great uh, event today, and then we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Take care.